as students, you might think that you do the experiment and then, oh, everything, uh, everything is done, you have results. Okay, no, you have a process to, to be done afterwards. Uh, and this took a long time because uh, so we finished in uh, 2000, uh, 2018 the experiment. And, and as I told you, we recently provided our, our draft uh, paper to, to be reviewed. Mm -hmm. So it took us one year to actually polish our results and everything. But I personally think it's one of the biggest fulfillment you can have to actually get your experiment to, to work and, and even work on your data afterwards. Time for another episode of the Cold Star Project. I am your host, Jason Canigan, the founder of Cold Star Technologies, this data science and intelligence company, process engineering firm. And I'm here with Florian Gauche. He is a, a doctoral candidate. He's working on his PhD in physics and astronomy at the University of Kansas. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. You bet. Well, Florian, I wanted you on specifically because you just started working on your doctorate. Uh, it's, it's very important for me to get voices from different areas of space field on this show and not just have it be hardcore business owners or venture capitalist funded people or executive directors or university heads or something like that. Uh, I definitely want to hear from everybody, right? Including, including students and folks who are, I mean, you're working on projects. So, you know, it, you just decided um, out of blue kind of to, to start working on a PhD in, in, at the University of Kansas. So let's start with that. What made you choose the University of Kansas and, and why this program? Um, so I decided to go to the University of Kansas because um, uh, actually I got uh, recruited on, on a project itself mm. uh, that was uh, between uh, NASA and the University of Kansas, the physics department of the University of Kansas. Uh, and at that time, I was actually looking for an internship in the uh, in the space industry or research and uh through through the, the randomness of life actually uh managed to uh to find this internship apply got uh, recruited did a six months internship uh, here at the university and uh actually i loved a lot this project so it just started when i arrived and so i was offered to continue on the project and to do actually a thesis uh, because i actually nasa was through the project funding uh a thesis uh, at ku and i thought it was a, a great uh, opportunity for me to actually continue working on this project but also have the ability to get a PhD that can help me to have a, a solid background in physics um, because I have a background in aerospace engineering uh, but I always love to do to do science this is why I also did uh, a master in astrophysics uh, before coming to to KU and uh, and I always love to to join uh, both the engineering and the project aspect uh, in, in the space industry, but also the the main drivers that I think is exploration. Well, actually, the main driver for me, and uh, and this goes through some mainly science. Okay, awesome. Uh, and I noticed uh, I've got uh, another guest, Dr. Sanchez from Cranfield University. I'm recording with him tomorrow, and he's someone that you know. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that connection. Um. So yeah, so actually, my uh, my school's years were a bit uh, 
special, I would say, because uh, so I started an aerospace uh, engineering diploma in, in France, in Isaiah Supero. Uh, and actually, we have this uh, practice to have a gap year to either get experience through uh, different internship during your year, or like me, actually go somewhere uh, else, another university, to try either to have a specific uh, master or try just something different. And this is what I decided to do. This is why I went to, to the UK in Cranfield University, where uh, Dr. San is actually a professor uh, in charge of astrodynamics and other other classes but the one I do was astrodynamics and it was a great opportunity for me to actually um, work on a lot of projects group projects with other students um, and spe specifically uh, with Dr. Sanchez who I did my master thesis with uh, we uh, made um, we started a project uh, with other students, actually we're uh, six students, uh, in order to um, to propose to ESA uh, an experiment uh, in the in the drop thesis program of ESA, and uh, and we got selected. So this means that uh, for for the four year, I was working a lot with uh, Dr. Sanchez on, on this project, and actually after we perform our experiment. I've been working since 2018 uh, with Dr. Trenches in, on refining the results and everything in order to, to get uh, something published. Hmm. Okay, so that'll be pretty neat. I'll ask him about you tomorrow when <laughs> I record with him. And that's just uh, completely uncoordinated on my part, just reaching out to different people and, and getting the two of you uh, and, and the fact that you booked it nearly the same days, <laughs> just crazy coincidence. Yeah. So you, I, 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 mm -hmm. go yeah, ahead. Exactly. I was just going to say that uh, just might be because we, we are currently in where we work in the mm -hmm. process of refining before, uh, because before sending or, or papers that got selected for, for publication. Uh, so this might be why we all decided to actually <laughs> take the interview after this mm. rather than... Ah, uh, I see, I see. That might explain. Right. <laughs> okay. Now you've got a couple of space events listed here in our, in our document that we use for preparation for the show here. Tell us about those, so to, to 2017 and uh, something else that looks like The Last Jedi or Judy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's a pun on, <laughs> yeah. on this. So there's a, they exist in France, uh, but it's uh, an international organization. Uh, it's called Space Up. Uh, it's it's a bit special because it doesn't organize um, conferences as we were used to, but they like to say a conference because we, the organizer, just provide uh, the actual logistics and provides rooms where uh, when arriving as a participant you decide to present something organize either just a discussion or present your work uh, so this is why they call it an conference uh, I was I was part of space of France uh, now way less because I moved to other countries but usually you have several events or they are the link to other organizations on smaller scales that do uh, events they also recently um, got some contacts with um, with ESA in order to, to organize more of those uh, space events around Europe and and I personally participated into the organization of one edition of space up uh, in 2017 as you said in in Toulouse and it was a great experience I met a lot of uh, 
of people from actually students that st just started and are a fan of, of space to actually uh, Airbus uh, engineers that can provide more insights into what is currently done or what future project of Airbus as there was at the time. Uh, the second association, um, it's more a specific event of Space Up. It's called the Last Jeudi. So Jeudi is Thursday in French. And so it's a pen and word on Jedi. And it's the fact that every last uh, Thursday of month, we, we do a meeting uh, all around France. And usually it would be a pub or some place where we can eat, drink, but also discuss a lot. And it's made for everyone that is um, that enjoys space, wants to discover space, and exchange with other people. Uh, sometimes we uh, try to also link uh, through, through the web with the, the other places organizing around France uh, this uh, last jeudi. Uh, but it's really a great opportunity to to meet other people that are really interested in, in space and might not have might not be working with you if if you are working in space because you want to discuss all the projects or what's new in space or what other companies could be could be doing awesome <laughs> i like that okay let's let's hop back to the project you're working on now so you are working on a nasa uh supported or funded thesis on uh let's talk about miniaturized space particle detector so, yeah. so tell us about that. What does that mean, and what's it for? Um, so, as as you know, uh, space is not so empty. Mm -hmm. Actually, uh, we constantly receive particles from the outer space. Uh, magnetic field around Earth means that some of them are trapped, but most the most energetic one usually uh, get to Earth, and it's also really important for um, for either the environment when you design a mission, but also for human life. So the ISS, for example, is constantly uh, monitored uh, concerning radiation. Uh, but now that we want to actually go uh, go forward, so go to the moon, uh, go to Mars, we want to have uh, more information, specifically information on the trip to, to Mars. Uh, we know some information from the surface because of all the missions that have been, also some from orbits, uh, from all the satellites uh, that have orbited or are still orbiting. Uh, but actually the trip between, between those, most of the time, uh, the payloads were off hmm. uh, and uh, so this was not studied so, so much. The issue is, uh, is the fact that um, you, you don't want a specific mission to, to be dedicated to only this and, and the idea of NASA is that it would be interesting to have um, a small detector that is able to still work in a great range uh, of species, so different ions, but also with different energies in order to, um, well, for them, radiation is really important. For scientists, it's to understand uh, the environment that relates to the sun activity, but also to a cosmic activity and provide more data because currently we mostly have information on protons and electrons, which are the main particles in uh, in the space field, uh, but we want we want to have more. And so the idea is to because technologies now are way uh, more ad 
advanced than uh, what has been done in the 90s or early 2000s. Uh, we want to have something that is really condensed into, uh, into the smallest amount possible and still provide a high efficiency. And this is what we are currently uh, developing at the University of Kansas after being selected for, um, for providing a prototype to, to NASA after, after three years of project. Hmm. So what kind of components are you using? What size? Um, so the, the idea was to, to be able to fit it in, in a CubeSat mm -hmm. um, because uh, first for the test of the prototype, it could be easy to find uh, re really quickly a, a, a CubeSat where we could either be a secondary payload if it's a, a bigger uh, CubeSat or even, uh, even the main payload for for 6U or something like that. So the idea, it won't be the usual 1U payload that you can find sometime in, uh, in 3 ones, but I think 3U are quickly uh, limited in terms of what they can provide. Um, and so this is why it's it would be more adequate to either 6U, a 12 unit CubeSat. And so for now, we are not at the stage uh, yet to have uh, an actual, um, fully uh, builded um, builded prototype but the aim would be uh, to be able to be in payload between 6u and, and 12 units uh, cubesat continuing also all the consumption requirements and mass requirements mm -hmm. and tell us about the decisions that this detector will enable flight planners and, and mission planners to be able to make um, so the knowing the amount of radiation you, you can receive uh, means a lot of information on the shielding. Mm -hmm. uh, so we know we know quite a lot on on the current shielding required for uh, or geo, geostationary uh, satellite because well we have had failures so we know from from those failures. And but but the issue is for uh, when when you send actually people. Uh, you need to be sure that the radiation they have, they don't have a later complication, or even when they come back on Earth uh, to have complications that we don't know. So it's really, um, then, then it, it would be transferred to, um, to, to medicine because, uh, I mean, I'm not expert into this, so I don't know uh, what level is okay and everything. But um, while before we had, uh, just a mean level of particles of radiation. Now we understand that actually uh, the sun has cycles. Mm -hmm. So you might be aware of the high and low level cycles, but even into those, you have different uh, subtype cycles and also uh, just bursts. And these kind of things that is interested to understand and to understand the the physics behind to understand how they are produced so that we can go from actually just observing them to be able to predict them and maybe delay uh, a mission later by maybe a few 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 months even if it costs a bit more fuel but in order to protect uh, either the material but mostly people that might be inside this mission 
Okay, so that's good. I, I wanted a basic answer for the lay person, but we also got into a little bit more articulation there where I actually learned something. Uh, does this tie into then the folks who are interested in the orbital uh, collision prevention and that and the tracking? Because this sounds like it's involved with space weather. Uh, I'm not sure to, to have understood your, your yeah. question on, on space weather. Yeah. Yes, does, does the radiation fall under that category of space weather? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. So radiation is is space space weather. Yeah. Space space weather is uh is actually if you compare uh, the the raining as as the, the drop of water as mm -hmm. particles, and this is why you have this image of of weather, and then you actually have the sun that. Uh, uh, that behave differently, have different um, activities, and and you have bursts that actually uh, affect greatly uh, our magnetosphere, and so the presence of um, of particles trapped or not trapped, and well, a simple phenomenon is auroras that that we observe, and the fact that those fluctuates is not something constant means that they're changing, and so the parallel with with weather so, mm -hmm. and so yeah okay it sounds like i should uh tag you and mariba jaw <laughs> dr jaw when this okay. when this comes out because the the orbital guys should be interested in this i think um it, it would impact the physics i think all right, well, let's hop to a couple of previous projects that you've worked on, give people a picture of what sorts of things master's degree students are working on. Uh, so you worked on something called the Student CubeSat project at- uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, so in my previous, uh, in my previous university um, in, in France, uh, we, um, we have, you know, a lot of associations uh, with uh, technical, uh, appliance of or, or what we are currently learning and one of those uh, association was around CubeSat. So actually it happens that uh, um, we it, it was uh, the, the, the association actually uh, disappeared a few years ago so we had to restart it again um, to by gathering different people finding projects to uh, to start. So the idea was really to, as quickly as possible, get um, older, older students with some uh, expertise to be guiding uh, newer students. Uh, and so that we could have, you know, a rotating uh, cycle because uh, we are limited by the amount of time you stay uh, in, in, this, in this university for the master. Uh, and so the first year, uh, we couldn't actually start uh, a new project directly. Uh, so we decided to 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 link ourselves with uh, other projects that were uh, just starting. Uh, and this is why uh, I met Fabien Appert. I think that you you had him in another uh, interview. And we uh, started working on on CubeSat. So at the time, it was the development of a multi-mission 12-unit CubeSat that could uh, that could provide for the different French uh, university, especially the science um, universities, to, to have a way to access space with their payload and not focus on the uh, engineering part of, uh, of the structure itself. Uh, so I worked especially on, on ATIS, uh, that was a mission focusing on um, 
on the studies of Auroras. And at this time, uh, I worked as a system engineer because we had a, a small team. So I was helping uh, Fabien Appert, that was the main system engineer, but he was uh, an engineer of Isaiah Superhero, so he will stay uh, all along for, for the project. Uh, and this allowed me to learn a lot of things about, about CubeSat, about the different um, fields that are involved into uh, building a CubeSat that is uh, in one way just a small uh, satellite so you have exactly the same um, fields as a as bigger uh, satellites that can be produced by Airbus or Thales or other companies and uh, I finished this year by actually being uh, being present at presenting during the uh, preliminary design review with uh, with member of CNES that we're attending. So CNES is a, a French uh, space agency. And it was great formation for me uh, to actually apply everything that was uh, academic from the classes to an actual, an actual project. And this is where I, I got the patient about um, CubeSat, where I think that it's like really, you know, uh, a great way to enter space and a great way also to to develop a new idea of of space with uh, multiple interacting and uh, modularity of of space. Um, so so this this was the start and my my first project. I also like worked on on smaller scale uh, project. Uh, like uh, um, I went into coding to understand uh, how mm. control center worked because at the same time we were trying to develop uh, a multi-mission uh, control center in the university for the future uh, CubeSat specifically, but also to help uh, CNES to have, a, to have a, this kind of uh, adaptable uh, control center. So I worked into this, which gave me a bit of knowledge into how communication with satellites works, how do you handle packets and everything. So really great year of formation. Mm -hmm. I really like the idea of pairing the experienced students with the new students as well. Uh, and that that is not only good just for academic, it's good for commercial as well, because what will happen if you don't do that is there's no knowledge transfer. And uh, when the experienced people leave, all that institutional knowledge vaporizes. And uh, I've seen that exactly. in many places, not just in the space field, uh, a lot to do with manufacturing and, and science stuff. Did you know that the small sat industry has a 40% and greater partial and full mission failure rate? That's terrible. And yet I find most people in the space industry try to treat this as if it's no big deal. They don't even want to acknowledge it. And I think that's ridiculous. If anything, anywhere else was having a 40% or greater failure rate, trying to turn your car on, right? If, you're, if your vehicle or your cell phone didn't work four times out of 10, two times out of five that you tried it, you would go berserk. And you would do everything you could to make sure that it got fixed. The SmallSat Process Engineering Department at Cold Star Technologies is all about showing you how to manage processes better, to eliminate the causes at the root that create these partial and full mission failure rates. And you don't need to hear it from me. You can look this stuff up in studies. It just comes out of what you might think are the dumbest things. Oh, I know that. Well, to know but not to do means you don't know it. You rush 
you rush the production schedule, you don't manage it right, you don't have the project sponsorship set up quite right, and the resources aren't there. You've got this mission launch date that's moving, and you just throw the schedule out the window. One-third to one-half of your project schedule needs to be for testing. And yet, this is the first thing to get smashed in the head by a wrench. As soon as the monkey wrench is thrown into the operation, testing time goes out the window. Do you want to avoid this problem? The answer is not more physical engineering. It's not. More engineers are not going to solve your problem. You have tons of engineers. I am not going to tell you how to engineer a satellite. <laughs> I've got Dr. Rick Fleeter and other people on my team for that. And we're not going to come in there and tell you how to engineer it. But on the process side, and I have had engineers on this show say, engineers don't know nothing about processes. That's not me saying it, it's the engineers saying it, but I will definitely echo it. If you want to have a manufacturing process that ensures that your small sets, cube sets, get up there and work, Come talk to us at Cold Star Tech. We also worked on a project called Land3U, which was about simulating CubeSat landing on asteroids. So let's talk about that. Yeah, so as I said, with um, uh, Dr. Sanchez, uh, during my year at Cranfield, hmm. we, um, so Dr. Sanchez, he might talk more about this, but he has a strong background in astrodynamics. And just before we arrived at Cranfield, uh, worked on on the the landing um, or the, the, the trajectories to have for CubeSat to actually land uh, on on the surface of an asteroid, and this this uh, those papers that he produced gave one value that is really important is the actual uh, velocity that you could achieve uh, when landing. So especially those those ideas were were developed around an ESA project that actually is also with NASA. So the ESA side is called HERA uh, and uh, the NASA side is DART, D-A-R-T. So it's a mission to uh, test the capacity to move an asteroid uh, from its trajectory. So it's an impact mission. And ESA is providing uh, uh, another satellite that uh, would uh, observe as uh, the, the aftermath of, uh, of of the event and one idea from ESA was to actually include uh, CubeSat on it and some papers wanted the CubeSat either by the end of the life or as a main uh, goal of the mission to lead on the surface of the asteroid as to understand what material have been uh, digged out of the of the asteroid from the impact or just analyze the surface. Uh, but the issue is that landing on an asteroid for such a um, small object is really hard because mm. uh, we are talking about uh, 3U at the time. Now it might be a 6U embarked, but still uh, in order to have propulsion and to, and to have active uh, methods to land, it's really hard when you see uh, when you compare to what Osiris will have to just get closer or what Ayabusa had, um, it seems really hard. Um, so we wanted to provide a bit more uh, information into this. And this is why we decided to, to propose an experiment in microgravity to simulate the landing of a CubeSat because we found out that most of the experiment before were actually performed with 
um, for ballistic land, well, for ballistic impact. So it was really more shell mm. and uh, uh, like a sphere to impact. And the issue is that it, the CubeSat might have uh, some controls of rotation and everything for its inertia, but um, it, it would it would be limited in a way. And you don't want if you have some solar panel or something like that, you don't want. Uh, to break and you want to also target as mostly as possible uh, the area of interest hmm. so we were interested in to finding how uh, characterization of of this impact and to know uh, what it would be for a 3u cubesat we got selected by isa and in the drop your thesis program so the drop your thesis program is a one-year program where isa finance your project and get you access to um, the Zamdrop tower. So it's the highest uh, drop tower in Europe that provides you uh, almost five seconds of microgravity. And, and this allows uh, students to actually, well, not only students use this drop tower, but this program allows students to access to it. And we were uh, followed by ESA experts to develop and they provided resources, contacts, um, with different departments of ESA to, to develop our experiment and to be able to get results in the end. So it was a one year uh, work. We, we were six students, five master students, one PhD student. Uh, we managed to, to be on time. We completed, uh, uh, we did our experiments. It was really great experience to, um, well, to follow a project project from the beginning to the end, to also have you know uh, only one year to to produce something that needs to work in an environment that is so hard as microgravity, because like a lot of things that you might think would work mm. or would be okay actually doesn't work. Um, just an example, we so we had to simulate the actual uh, surface of an asteroid. And we uh, we worked with ESA to obtain uh, samples that they have recreated out of all the information uh, we have. And through discussion with experts, um, we all thought that by compacting enough, uh, we would have a flat that would not um, be perturbated uh, during the change from gravity to micro microgravity. However, it it did uh, it did not happen like this, and actually uh, all the the soil started floating around, so it's hard to get uh, an impact inside a cloud of uh, pebbles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so we had to on site to find a solution to develop, and we changed actually as uh, the type of asteroid we were aiming aiming at to more rocky ones, allowing us to actually. Um, make uh, the soil more uh, more compacted and more easier to to maintain um but it, it's something that makes you learn a lot of things especially on the experiment side uh, of everything and this is why you always need to be prepared preparing so much we have a lot of things could have uh, gone wrong but we prepared uh, well and things that we thought were prepared for actually uh, when went not as good as as we thought would would be uh, but uh, actually we got uh, we got good good results um, and and from this we we actually went through the phase of analysis that um, well you, as students you might think that you do the experience 
experiment and then oh everything uh, everything is done you have results okay no you have a, a process to to be done afterwards uh, and this took a long time because uh, so we finished in uh, 2000, uh, 2018 the experiment and and as i told you we recently provided our, our draft uh, paper to to be reviewed so it took us one year to actually uh, polish polish our results and everything mm -hmm. uh, really but i personally think it's one of the biggest fulfillment you can have to actually uh, get your experiment to to work and and even work on your data afterwards right right yeah great learning experience and I, i'm still even more curious about what you discovered because for our general listeners who maybe not be familiar with space uh, asteroids are often just a jumble of material held together by gravity and floating around out there so as you've discovered uh, if you try and do some sort of gravitational change or even plan for a like a ballistic impact uh the thing just <laughs> I imagine just goes into yeah. a cloud and you can't land on a cloud. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, no, here it was more as the cloud aspect was more. So the issue is that um, in microgravity, uh, you well, everything is made on Earth under gravity, and mm -hmm. and we we don't see it. But actually, even a table that seems flat. If you put it in microgravity, it will start to bend a little bit because the, the, its own weight is not pushing itself towards the ground anymore. So, so small perturbation actually uh, makes it really hard to perform an experiment if you don't constrain your volume. Uh, so this is what 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 happened in in our experiment where actually the soil started to uh, to spread together. In in an asteroid. Um, you, you can have those type of phenomena. However, since the asteroid is still there, it means that what is there is already stable. So it's, mm. it's the end state. But this might mean that you would have a, a, a cloud forming uh, at the beginning uh, with a, an, um, a more sturdy inner core. But, but then it, it, it could uh, provide more uh, information on you know uh, the time it takes for for this cloud to actually rest back or or escape if it escapes and those kind of information are really interesting uh we were limited for one year but we we worked with a lot of others um of others uh doctors and professors in other universities that actually were interested to look at other information that could be provided by our experiment or even trying to improve our experiment to focus on all the details because we were a team of mostly engineers so our focus was to understand how the rebounds uh, is affected uh, on the surface of an asteroid in microgravity condition especially due to the fact that we don't have a specifically uh, flat or round object. Mm. Uh, but, but as you said, I mean, uh, now maybe later, uh, there would be another team either by Cranfield or another university inspiring, inspired by our experiment to actually perform uh, further, improving your design, uh, because we kind of started from scratch on, on this, improving your design of the experiment, uh, trying to to go forward, knowing what went wrong with us, and and actually look at all the details in order to prepare experiments. 
Um, yeah. And this is the kind of thing that I hope might happen. Okay, Florian, just before we leave this particular topic, I'm curious. So, so the end result of the CubeSat landing, quote unquote, on this asteroid, are you imagining that it's going to have little feet and it comes to a gentle landing like a lunar lander or more like a ballistic shell that punches into the surface and stays there and then gathers data through sensors or something and sends it back? So... Um... So the idea is already, and this is why, why this experiment was possible. From calculation from Dr. Sanchez, and he, he will be able to explain also to you if it's part of the discussion, but um, the end velocity was something between 10 centimeters per second to 20 centimeters per second. This is when you give no push to your actual uh, CubeSat and knowing a certain initial distance and just gravity, the small gravity of asteroid for a long time, maybe three hours, attracting your cubes that makes it to have 10 centimeters per second. And so mm. 10 centimeters per second is like a movement like this. So it's mm -hmm. really slow. But still, the issue is on Earth, you, you, most of the things have a rebound, but you have dissipation of energy and also gravity that is so hard pulling it back again. And actually you have uh, micro rebounds. Uh, but on asteroids, you don't because the tiny velocity makes actually a huge, uh, a huge um, movement. Uh, not so huge to the point that you escape, uh, but huge enough so that uh, you can actually arrive maybe 10, 100 meters away from your actual targeted location. And that can be a nightmare for your experiment mm. if you wanted like specific location such as for for the mission we were thinking to be as close as possible where uh, a previous impact was done but this impact would be like high velocity impact but uh but not okay. for for cubesat <laughs> right right so you send out uh, a flyer basically that creates the initial impact Okay. Yeah, and yes. the, uh, the interesting thing that I just learned from you now is that you can take a considerable period of time to accomplish the landing. It's not something you want over in 15 seconds or something no. like that. You can spend five hours if that's what you really need to do to to make it soft. Okay. Uh, well, uh, I mean, it's it's gravity because you you start mm -hmm. with an initial push that is almost zero velocity, and just by uh, by having it fall to the ground, you know, the acceleration on Earth is 10 meters per second. So mm -hmm. every second you gain, uh, uh, sorry, 10 meters per square. <laughs> uh, yes, so every, every, uh, every yeah. second you, you gain a velocity of 10 meters per second. Uh, so if you, if you wait enough time, you would have a huge uh, velocity. Here, because the gravity is so low, actually when you arrived at the impact point, you are 10 centimeters per second. But you are not like uh, you are not one minute away at this velocity from from the from the asteroid itself. Like the more the spacecraft that is uh, delivering the, the, the CubeSat might be 200 meters away or something like that. So when you imagine that your final velocity, not initial one, is 10 centimeters per second, yeah. it takes a long time to arrive. And the right. issue is that the same when you uh, when you go. Uh, when you have a rebound, even if you dissipate half of your velocity, uh, you still have a five centimeter per second. And, and with this low uh, gravitational that attracts you back, it needs a long time to actually get a vertical velocity to get to zero mm -hmm. and then 
again. And you don't rebound vertically, so you don't stay in the same position, but actually have, you know, a ballistic uh, a curve. So this is why you can get 100 meters away from your initial uh, point. Right, where, where your imagined target was. Well, now you've got me wondering about uh, terminal velocities for different masses. <laughs> That's something I haven't really thought of before. Just Earth <laughs> in, my, in my own uh, physics studies. Okay, well, let's fast forward to a few years from now. You've got your PhD. Uh, Artemis has brought us back to the moon. We're learning a lot about lunar construction, fuel provision and that. And I'm curious, and, and this is just a snapshot as of today, I understand ideas change over time and that, but where do you see yourself or where do you hope to apply what you've learned in your skills? Well, depending on the, uh, depending on the amount of time it takes us to, to get there, I might not have exactly the same um, role into mm -hmm. those kind of things uh, because I really enjoy to have the, a global view on the project and, and and for sure, uh, I might start uh, focusing on one aspect of a mission, but maybe in 20 years, I hope I would be uh, on the global scale of, of, of the full mission. Um, so considering uh, those things, uh, I think it's really interesting how, um, how compared to a normal mission where we send something out and, and we just let it let it go sometimes a bit more complicated we need to think about retrieving something mm. uh, but those mission needs to form an ecosystem kind of because you you need to have continuous interaction links with moon base if there is as there is uh, now with the ISS you cannot like just design a one way to go you need to, to think of the return and usually mm. you don't want it to be uh, just once because if it just once the cost is tremendous and you don't want to to spend so much for for this so through different projects in my in my uh, in my curriculum we had student projects you know group projects where we design um, some moon base some ideas on the uh, use of fuel and everything and really the complexity of those kind of things I think is for me it's a challenge that we'd really like to to undergo and to tackle but it it really depends because I, I know that in in the few few years from now uh, I might m be more interested in, into uh, missions that are for exploration mm -hmm. uh, because um, as I told you earlier it's uh, my main driver is science and exploration and it's true that even if we there's still things to learn about Moon about Mars. Um, it's more in itself an engineering challenge rather than the science uh, ID. Well, science will be everywhere and we'll get as much information we can uh, as secondary payload on, on whatever mission we have on the moon. But it might be uh, specifically more on the human side part. So I think like you will have a medicine branch that would like uh, skyrocket that would be space medicine. Uh, but for the near future, and I think so, this would be moon, moon base uh, time. Uh, I would be more focusing on actually continuing exploration, such as you know icy moons uh, exploration in the solar system, because I think they hmm. they, they get all the information we're currently lacking uh, from from our system, and even continuing to look for for life. 
if it exists uh, in, in our system. Uh, but maybe like later on, I would uh, greatly enjoy to uh, to work on this on a global scale, you know, of how to maintain maybe at this time it would be between the moon and Mars or something like that, you know, working on the on the on this global system would be great. All right. Would you prefer to work for government or commercial, at least out of the gate? That depends on how commercials evolve. Um, because uh, most commercials uh, have been in uh, in the previous years not so um, uh, taking the step forward, but more following uh, the the requirements given by a, a government agency. A government agency were pushing things forward, uh, developing the mostly developing the technologies. Then those technologies were given or companies were started out of it. Uh, NASA developed everything that, uh, that is known about the different profiles of planes that allows now the, the big companies to be able to, to have reference into which type of, of wings you need uh, to use. Um, and and I, don't, I don't know, but for me, it seems something more pure um, to, 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 to go for. So this is why I would say government uh, agencies, uh, but also, you know, with, uh, if, even if we still have the commercial, but uh, with new companies, you might have like, uh, companies that would go forward into asteroid exploitation or providing, uh, I've learned, you know, I went to the International Astronautic Congress and you have a lot of companies that, uh, even if for now you don't have, uh, a, um, you don't have government agencies that specifically ask for a design for this, they are starting of thinking multi-mission designs hmm. to, to go exploration and all kind of things. And this is, this might be commercial companies that I would work for, definitely. All right. Well, Florian Gauche, a PhD candidate at the University of Kansas, uh, really been uh, enlightened by your perspective. It's been fun to have you on. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is Jason Cannigan from Cold Star Tech. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do want to get email notifications of upcoming episodes or episodes that have just been released and maybe a little news sprinkled in here and there, you can sign up for email notifications at coldstartech.com slash MSB. That's short for Make Space Boring. That's another little show that I do. It's uh, once, twice, three times a week, something like that. Anytime there's news or uh, an update on who I'm meeting and, and what I'm uh, studying in the space field. So you can go check that out. On the YouTube channel, I can do something that I cannot do on uh, Anchor for the audio only uh, side of things. The YouTube channel allows me to have playlists. And so you might want to go to the channel, the Cold Star Tech channel, and check out those playlists because you will find, you can go down a rabbit hole basically into several areas like space law and policy, uh, small sats. And I think that's a lot easier than trying to scroll through 130 episodes or something like that, <laughs> looking for the thing that you want. So I recommend going and checking that out. And remember, if you're ready to take your space business to the next level or you're a VC looking for a deep and a very valuable insight into a space company you're looking at investing in or investing further in, come and talk to us. Thanks for listening.